All right, welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have taken the time to to join us today. I pray that God's favor and his blessing is rich in your life this January of 2024. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, My goodness, the older I get, the more time is literally just, just, flying. We're barreling down the highway and the days are just streaming past us. And it's, it's happening at breakneck speed and the kingdom of God, the manifold grace of the kingdom of God is unfolding all around us. We are excited about many, many things. We've had many new visitors that are coming to church. We have so many Bible studies. This is a time of sowing for us here in Durham, North Carolina. We've had a time of reaping where many were baptized, many were filled with the Holy Ghost last year. Now we're in a time of sowing and we have Bible studies coming out of our ears. People are hungry for the word of God. Don't let anybody tell you any different. As the hour grows darker around us, the light shines so much brighter. Um, If you haven't had a chance yet, jump in and take a look at our Biblos merchandise. We've got the sweaters, the hoodies, the, the, uh, the different colors, the hats, the Biblos hats, the mugs, the tumblers. Um, they are flying off the shelf. We're excited about that. It, people are, are supporting the mission. And the mission of Biblos is to help people fall in love with the Word of God. We want you to support your pastor, to support your local church. We want you to support the mission of preaching the gospel around the world and to fall in love with the unfathomable depths of the Word of God. The Word of God is so deep, it is so profound, it is so beautiful that there's no time to fall away, there's no time to backslide, there's no time to allow misguided people to talk you out of this great apostolic heritage that God has handed down to us. So, as I cast about in my mind um, what what I wanted to deal with today, I preached a message this Tuesday night. I was planning on teaching it, but that Tuesday morning, I, I was so caught up. Uh, it was so dynamic. Um, the, the, the time in prayer, the time in study, and I could feel the Holy Ghost prompting me and guiding me and stirring me in my spirit, and I was stirred. And so what was initially going to be teaching, kind of a, a, a lower tempo Tuesday night service, wound up turning into a barn burner. I mean, the Holy Ghost hit our congregation. God helped us. He blessed us. And so when I, when I had some chance to, I had a chance to sit down and kind of collect my thoughts, my email box and my Instagram and my Facebook were inundated with people asking me, to do a Biblo session on this and, and maybe flesh it out a little bit more because a preaching format a lot of times is inspirational. It's you're, you're under the unction, you're under the anointing and, um, you can really, 
I mean, the hammer will break in pieces. The, the, the fire of the word of God will, will consume you and will, will cause you to, to burn with passion for the things of God. But in there, some of the data can be lost and the volume can be intimidating for some. And sometimes it helps to slow down, take a moment, take a measured pace, and to walk out the concepts and the principles. And that's what I hope to do today. Because if, if you're like me, you have looked at the Bible, you've tried to decipher it. And particularly when I was younger, I struggled. My, my westernized mind struggled to open up this Middle Eastern sacred text. And the more I tried to apply my, my didactic approach, I tried to apply my observational, education-oriented background to, to understand what was being said in the scripture, the harder I struggled, the more it remained closed to me. It wasn't until I began to read the scripture the way it was intended to be read, not as a Western educated person, but number one, as a Holy Ghost filled person, the entrance of thy words, it giveth light. And in the old Testament in the tabernacle, when they would go to eat the showbread in the holy place, they relied upon the light of the seven golden candlesticks. And that's another way of saying that you cannot eat the bread without the illumination of the spirit. There was no other illumination except that which was of those seven candlesticks. No outward illumination, no worldly light was to be cast upon the showbread, but only the light of the spirit. So Peter could say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus could say to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It is the light of the candlesticks that reveals the showbread. So first of all, we're Holy Ghost-filled people who read the Scripture. And we read it through an Acts 2.38 lens, not through a Reformationist lens, not through a Catholic lens. And then to read it the way the Hebrews would have understood it and read it. God chose the Hebrews and then he chose uh, the Greek language in the New Testament to reveal his purpose. He could have done it at any point in time in history with any people, any culture group, but he chose these amazing people and their beautiful language to capture the essence of the word of God. And so hopefully I can help somebody with this. I, I want to I'm going to call this session today 24-7. 24-7. And at the outset, let let me say that I believe that what we have in the New Testament is the stuff that the cosmos are comprised of. It is what the stars are made of, what, what the planets are made of, the, the, the bond, the gravitational bonds, the, the, the physical laws that came into being at the beginning of creation that hold the space-time continuum together. I believe that that 
is the same stuff that makes Acts 2.38, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the New Testament administration, it makes it so powerful and so dynamic. This experience of Pentecost gets down to the very core of being. It is that profound. It is that great. And the, and, and the reason I say that is because the Bible says through faith, we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And things that are seen are not made of things which do appear. So the word of God holds the worlds in their place. And, and it's by that word that the worlds were created. The planets, all of it. The intricate balancing, what, what um, physicists would say, you know, we live, they would say that we live in the Goldilocks zone, that it's not too hot and it's not too cold, but it's just right for human life. That's not an accident. It's not an accident that the sun strikes the earth at such an angle and the earth is is an ellipsoid and that it rotates at such a velocity <clears throat> and that it's positioned just so with regards to the sun and that it's canted at such an angle. None of that is by accident. That is a creator that put that in motion so that we might have an atmosphere, that we might live the, the, the protective band that stops radiation from cooking us alive that all other planets do not have, but Earth does have. And all of that was so that everything that hath breath might praise the Lord, that we might glory in his, his, his majesty and we might look upon the great works that he has done and we might enter into covenant with him and a relationship of love. So let me start by saying that and the first couple minutes here might sound a little um, meandering. It might be tough to, for people to grab a hold of it, but I have to lay this foundation in order for the next portion to make sense, to provide the context of what I hope to talk about. And, and maybe some of these things will help answer some of the odd little eccentricities in the scripture that you run across. You know, there's a place in the, uh, in the Kings where the prophet laid, um, across a boy and he raises from the dead. God raises him from the dead by the prophet's prayers. And the Bible says he sneezed seven times. <laughs> and it's so amazing to me that God takes care to put that kind of detail in and it matters it there is significance in that little detail <clears throat> and so let me say at the outset that everything we do in in the scripture in the will of god is patterned after heaven it exists in heaven first before it exists before a thing exists anywhere it exists in the heavens and so before there was anything there was, there was heaven, there was God's abode and his kingdom, him, his angels, the sons of God, 
And what we do on earth is to honor that. One way of looking at earth is earth is a colony of heaven. It's, it's an extension of heaven where heaven comes down and manifests itself. And it is literally supposed to be <clears throat> this, this purpose of God is supposed to be on earth as it is in heaven. That is the will of God. Um, when we figure that out, why miracles happened, when they happened, and how they happened, make a lot more sense. They go from being just arbitrary details and, and just stories that we just kind of know to a purpose-driven, pattern-based, powerful outpouring of God's explosive glory and power. And I want to try to share with you how, how I see that. And I, 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 I'm going to say that I feel very inadequate to do this. I feel like I'm not I'm not educated enough and I feel like my tongue is not up to the task, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try. Hopefully when I'm done, it'll make a little more sense what I'm trying to say. We know that John was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day and he saw things. <clears throat> he saw beasts arise out of the sea. He saw some things that the Lord, the angel told him, don't write these things. And some things he said, do write these things, put it in a book. It is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and people look at the book of revelation as though it's this great mystery and there is mystery there, but it's not to remain shrouded in mystery. It's not called the mystery of Jesus Christ. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is God's good will to reveal himself to you and to me. So when he, when he looks into heaven, he sees something amazing in Revelation chapter four. He sees a lamb as it were slain. He sees one sitting on the throne. And then he sees four and 20 elders, 24 elders. And he sees seven spirits of God. He sees four creatures. And they all worshiped the lamb. They all sang the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. And this scene is, is iconic. It's a powerful scene. And, and people read that and they just kind of look at it and say, okay, that's, that's nice. I, I, you know, we know that we hear it in Sunday school, we hear it preached, but I wonder if we know how that applies to us and what that means to us on a, on a daily, on a daily basis and in a daily application. Because what John saw was what heaven looked like and it gives rise to why things happen the way they do in the scripture. Let me give you some examples of this. <clears throat> Many believe, and, and I believe, that those four and 20 elders are the, are the two sets of 12 that, that govern the Old and the New Testament. There were 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, 
And then there were the 12 apostles. And God took care to keep that number intact. So when Levi is taken as a tithe unto the Lord, Joseph is broken into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and the number 12 remains as the number of government. And then when we get to the New Testament, God takes care to preserve that 12, even when Judas dies and commits suicide, hangs himself. Um, they cast lots for Matthias, and he becomes the, the new 12th member of that group. God takes care to hold that number intact. Why? What's the big deal? And you'll notice that number 12 repeats over and over in the Bible. Now, let me give you a disclaimer here. Um, I'm not trying to promote numerology. I'm not trying to get deep into numbers because people do that and they get weird with it. They try to read deep things into it and they wind up dividing things and multiplying things and they get into dates and then they get into astrology and the stars and, and before you know it, they're just, they're just off the, off the charts. So that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to get lost in the weeds on that. And I'm careful with this because people do that. But you cannot overlook the fact that numbers mean something in the scripture. You'll see that number 12 over and over again, and I want to share with you how it works uh, to the best of my ability. So one of the things John saw was those 24. And, And here they are, they're in heaven, they are before the throne, and this 12 and this 12, they govern the Old and the New Testament, and they give glory to God, four and 20 of them. And, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says that they without us should not be made perfect. They did not receive the promise. We have received the promise. And the idea is that when you take that old and that new Testament together, it comprises the the perfect plan and purpose of God for redemption in our lives. And there were 12 men that governed that plan in the old Testament and 12 that governed it in the new Testament. So this is one reason why when you, when you see the picture of the new Jerusalem, It says that there are 12 foundations in that city and they are the 12 apostles. That's what the book of Revelation says. And then there are 12 um, names around the gates coming into that city. And that is the 12 patriarchs. And there they are. It's those two sets of 12. You'll see that over and over again. There's a lot I could talk about on that. I don't want to go too deep. But I'll just point out to you that It's interesting that it's the 12 apostles that are in the foundation and it's the 12 patriarchs in the gates because you would think it would be the patriarchs in the foundation and the apostles in the gates. The reason being that foundations come before gates. You have to build the foundation before you build the gates and the patriarchs chronologically came before the apostles. So you would think we're standing on the patriarchs <clears throat> and we enter into this through the book of Acts, through the through the apostles. That's how you would think naturally, but that's not what the Bible says. It says that the apostles are in the foundation and the patriarchs are in the gates. And then it becomes clear that God was always aiming at a universal purpose. He was always going to make a way for the Gentiles to come in to the kingdom of God and into his heirship, into sonship, into covenant. And it was actually the Old Testament that was the gateway to bring us into that. Israel was the gates 
that allowed us into this new Jerusalem. And so the, the purpose from the foundation of the world, the lamb was always going to be slain. And God always knew that that eternal purpose is what we would stand on. And so it is the apostles, those 12 apostles that we stand upon. And so now the scripture that says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. This is why Peter says to the Sanhedrin that this is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of of the corner and neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The stone that the builders rejected and the prophet said, I laid in Zion a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. <clears throat> this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So God laid a foundation and that foundation was the apostles and the prophets. And it's 12, there's two sets of 12. And you see it over and over. And once you get that and you see that, it's a pattern, it's a template. Then you'll see the seven spirits of God. There are seven spirits of God, the Bible says. And that number seven, is seen over and over in the Bible. And, and again, I don't want to get into numerology, but, but you will see it over and over. And, and here in Genesis chapter two, it even says that God blesses that number. Um, Genesis two and one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. <clears throat> and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Well, to get that, you need to know that in the Hebrew language, not only are there letters, but there are numbers that correspond with those letters. So when it is um, the Aleph, uh, which is A, there's a number one that goes with that. And on and on through the Hebrew alphabet, there's a corresponding number to that. So the number seven is a, is a, is a preeminent number in the Bible. And it's that number that John sees in heaven, seven spirits of God. And that pattern is, is throughout the word of God. It is throughout our lives and it is throughout the cosmos itself, even into the fabric of of the universe and all of creation. The rotation of the planets is built on it. It is literally 24 seven. This is why there are 12 hours in the morning. There are 12 hours at night. There are seven days in a week. This is why there are 12 months in a year. Every day that we live is, is built upon this premise <clears throat> and the Bible was not written. The word of God was not given to match the cosmos. The cosmos was built to match the word of God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made 
by him, by the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so God puts into the very fabric of creation this pattern. 24-7. And so your clock ticks and the planets turn. And it's the same stuff that comprises the book of Acts and the power of God in the New Testament. 24 and 7. That number 7 is a deep topic. Um, it's why God creates the world in seven days. He didn't just arbitrarily choose that number, but he worked for six days and he rested on the seventh day. That is an archetype of greater things to come that the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews talks about. <clears throat> and there's a lot of teaching there. But it's built on the number seven, which is Sheba, or, or the same word for oath, covenant, oath. So Sheba is the number seven. Same word for covenant and oath is the same word for seven, to the point that when a person made an oath or a covenant, they sevened themselves. They made an oath. And so when God made the heaven and the earth, he swore that it would hold and that it would do what he ordained it to do. He made a covenant with mankind and he did it in seven days. So this is why <clears throat> Abraham brings seven ewe lambs to Abimelech and he calls the name of the well there, Beer Sheba. Beer means well, Sheba means oath or sevens, the well of the sevens. So I'm making a covenant with you. Here's these seven ewe lambs. That's, those seven ewe lambs are a reflection of the seven days of creation, which are patterned after the seven spirits of God. And I can go to Isaiah uh, chapter 11, where it talks about the seven spirits that are there in the spirit of God. One, God is one spirit, but there are seven administrations there. Powerful, powerful chapter. But again, I don't want to go so deep into that. I really just want to touch on that and show you why God does it. This is why there is a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. This is why there are seven candlesticks. This is why there are seven churches of Asia. This is why the number seven happens over and over and over again in the Bible. And so when you think of seven, think of oath, covenant, think of seven. <clears throat> and because they are the seven spirits, think of a work of the spirit. It is a supernatural. God rested on the seventh day. It was a, it was a, a spiritual rest. It was a work of God that only God could do. God did the work in six days and he rested on the seventh. It is of the spirit. So whenever you see that seven, think of that. Now, I, you know, I've touched on these topics independently before, but I'm going to put them together today and show you how the 24 seven dynamic works. It is this concept that brings us to the tabernacle and Moses, Moses builds the tabernacle on this, on this pattern. The Bible says that he was called up into Sinai and he saw things. God showed him things. And when he was done, God said, see that you make it according to the pattern, according to the pattern that I showed thee in the Mount. And so <clears throat> he comes down and he immediately takes 12 stones and makes an ephod one stone to represent each tribe. So he's got this 12 and he walks into this 
this tabernacle made of skins of animals. And there are 12 loaves of bread, the show bread, uh, that represent those 12 tribes. And there's these seven candlesticks. So here's these two 12s and this seven. It's literally 24-7. And that pattern is stamped into that Old Testament administration of worship. And if I had the time, I would tell you about the brazen altar of death and the brazen laver of washing and this administration of two twelves and sevens. And, and they had to eat of the, that showbread that was in there, which is a powerful metaphor for the preached word of God and the red word of God to eat the bread. And you had to have the light of the lamps to see the bread and you need the illumination of the spirit to understand the word of God. And then the, the altar of incense that was there that they offered up praise and worship to God, a special mixture that was holy unto the Lord and that was separated unto the Lord. And you could not have that mixture privately in your home. It was against the law. This was a special incense that was, that was given to the Lord. And then once that was all done, as that priest made his way through that holy place, that cloud that was over the top of the Ark of the Testimony began to swirl and it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the Shekinah glory of God. And when they, when they did the ordinances right and they followed that pattern, that fire would come down into that holiest of holies and that high priest would worship and commune with God and heaven would kiss earth and the power of God would fall upon a holy man that was an anointed by God. And it was the pattern of the 24-7, the two twelves and the seven. It was what they were doing was they were taking what was in heaven and bringing it down to earth on earth as it is in heaven. And so bringing that pattern and duplicating down here, what was up there brought the unleashed power and, and manifold presence of God into the earth and God atoned for their sins and the, he accepted the blood of the lamb and he dwelt among his people and he gave them victory and power and they became God's peculiar possession. Praise God. And so these numbers signify, the Bible uses the word signify. Revelation uses the word signify. <clears throat> and Hebrews said that the Holy Ghost, this signified that the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest. That was what the Bible describes as the tabernacle that Moses made. But when we get to the New Testament, we have a new tabernacle, which the Bible calls the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. And I'm thankful to be part of that tabernacle. All right. Moses has this pattern. Well, we, we move a little further in and after Moses administration is over, Joshua takes over and God reestablishes this pattern with him. It is now that he takes Joshua and, and he, he, he tells him to cross the Jordan River. How are we going to do that? He tells him, take the priest, take the ephod, take the ark of testimony and, <clears throat> and put it to their shoulders, have them lead the people. And when the soles of their feet touch the water, the waters will part. And they did. And they, they marched through the waters. And, and as the priest got to a certain point, God said, stop, stop right there. And take a stone and put it in those waters, into that riverbed. So here's the water standing up. And they take these stones and they put them, 12 stones. 
that are in that course, that river course, 12 stones in the river. <clears throat> and I, lo I love how they, how they describe how they did it. The Bible says that they put those stones where the priest's feet stood firm. I love that statement because there are some stones that have been placed in my life and they are there. They're ancient landmarks and they are there where the priest's feet stood firm. <laughs> I told Brother Godier the other day, I'm so thankful that you stood firm and you planted your feet and you didn't move. And I said, I'm, I'm thankful my grandfather planted his feet and he didn't move. And my father and my brother and my great grandfather. God will put a landmark where your feet stand firm. <clears throat> and they put this 12 into that river course. Well, then when they got through, they also put them on the riverbank. They put a second 12 on the riverbank. So there's a, a first 12 that's in the water. And then there's a second 12 that's on the riverbank. 24. Two sets of 12. The water came crashing down and covered up that, that one 12, but there was another 12 there on the riverbank. And, and this is a powerful teaching of, of the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. One of them is touchable. One of them is tangible. One of them is readily and accessible, and they are at hand. And that's the ones that are on the riverbank. The kids could see them so that as the generations came, they would say, what meaneth these stones? And the parents would say, this is how we came over from Egypt and how God brought us to the promised land. That's what the stones mean. And, <clears throat> and, and, and now there are these 12 that are hidden. There would be a hidden 12. There would be a visible 12 there would be a hidden 12. And so that is how it is with the apostles and with the patriarchs. You could see the 12. They were visible. They were understood. They were known in the Old Testament. But the second 12 was not known. They weren't known until New Testament light was shed upon them. They were hidden in the murky depths of the Jordan River. Praise God. But they were there. And it required revelation to see them. And when the New Testament came, the waters were parted. And that which was hidden was brought to light and revealed. And I'll tell you something about that. I believe with all my heart that when Elijah parted the waters to be carried up in the chariot of fire, I believe he saw those 12 stones. And the reason I say that is because he went to cross at the same place that Joshua did. Joshua crossed at Gilgal and Elijah crossed at Gilgal. I believe they saw the 12 stones. And I believe that when Elisha came back from seeing his master go up, in the chariot of fire, and he smote the waters with the mantle. And he said, where is the God of Elijah that he too saw the 12 stones? And I believe that, that you have to get a revelation of the two 12s. You've got to get a revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got to get a revelation of that. And then not only are you to get one, but your son has to get one. Each generation has to get their own revelation. It's not enough for Elijah to get it. Elisha has to get it. And you've got to part the waters. And you've got to see into the murky depths. And you've got to see into the deep and the power of the purpose of God in our lives. Praise God. <clears throat> And so, so that, that pattern that was in Moses that caused him to conquer Og, the king of Bashan, and caused water to come out of rocks and bread to come down from heaven and bitter waters to be made sweet and serpents' venom to be uh, redacted and, and healed, uh, that, that same power that did all of that when he smote the rock and, 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 and all the miracles of, of the wilderness happened with those two twelves and sevens.
And now Joshua takes that same pattern and he takes those two twelves and he marches on the promised land. And it makes sense when God, when, when they ask Joshua, how are we going to conquer this land? We're like grasshoppers before these people that Joshua's answer was, we're going to march around the walls of Jericho seven times. This is not an arbitrary number. This isn't something they just pulled out of the air and, oh, that sounds good. This is a heavenly pattern that was, it's gonna be a work of the spirit. It's not gonna be by might, it's not gonna be by power, but it's gonna be by my spirit, saith the Lord. You're not gonna scale the walls, you're not gonna knock down the walls with engines of war and siege machines, but you're gonna march around seven times. And seven times on the seventh day, I could talk about Pentecost right there. It's 49 and then 50 and, and, and praise God, it's, it's two sets of sevens. That's another, another session for another day. But, but seven times and on that seventh day, those walls came tumbling down. And the same thing that caused Moses to triumph is the same thing that causes Joshua to triumph. It is the heavenly pattern of the 24 and the seven. It is the two sets of the corporate groups, 12 and 12, and the work of the spirit moving through them that caused Jericho's walls to fall flat. This is the pattern that was shown in the mount. It's the same stuff <clears throat> that causes uh, the planets to rotate and for day and night to happen. Amen. There's a reason there's 12 hours for the day, 12 hours for the night. And, and that gives new meaning to the, the psalm that says, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. That's not just poetic speech. That is literally the 24-7. It is to, it's a praise that is to be done in coordination with heaven's pattern. And you literally pull heaven down here to earth from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. That cosmic planetary emphasis is, is the stuff that makes it go. It's what it's comprised of. Your worship, your praise, your New Testament power is, is built out of the same stuff that makes the planets rotate. Thank you, Jesus. I'm starting to feel my help come from the Lord. Now maybe it makes more sense when when you see <clears throat> Elijah as he goes to Carmel and he he battles with Jezebel and Ahab and you have this this weak king Ahab and this this wicked queen Jezebel who are 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 seducing the people of God and, and are corrupting them with Baal worship. And they've got the minds of the people corrupted. And there's 850 false prophets, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the groves. And they are now at the penultimate moment in Elijah's day. They are at Carmel and God says, and Elijah says rather, um, how long halt you between two opinions? How long are you going to halt? That word halt there doesn't mean just to pause. It literally means to be crippled, to halt. The Bible says that they would go out and they would, they would gather the blind, the halt, the maimed, the lame. They would bring them into, into the house that God's house may be full. <clears throat> well, how long halt ye between two opinions? Literally, there's a crippling effect that this seduction is bringing into Israel. You are halting the process. You are crippling the kingdom. You, and, and you're limping along. And, and, and Elijah, Elijah's question was, how long? If, if God is God, then worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. But let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. 
and the, the false prophets took him up on the challenge. They have their confrontation on top of Carmel. And uh, the prophets of Baal do their show, their song and dance. They cut themselves. They cry all day long. Nothing happens. No fire falls because their God has no power. It is no accident. <clears throat> Bibliophiles, theophili, lovers of the word of God. It is no accident that that Elijah, when it's his turn, he says, gather the 12 stones, one for each tribe in Israel. And, and, and he, Bible, the Bible says he rebuilt the altar. What a, what a shame that he had to rebuild it. That means it had been built before. Someone had lovingly taken those stones and built that altar unto Jehovah, unto Yahweh, and had stacked them in order and one for each tribe to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. There was a time when men knew, women knew how to build altars. And now it's overgrown with moss. It's covered in weeds. It's broken down. They had to gather them out. They had to reassemble them because someone had neglected the altars. Don't ever neglect the altars in your life. Don't ever <clears throat> allow your parents' altars, your grandparents' altars to fall into ruin and to neglect and disarray. Praise God, but build that altar every day and make it right. And it is made of 12 stones. And here again is that tangible, touchable, physical aspect of that 12. And then the next thing he says is get a bullock. We're going to slay it and then get me 12 buckets of water. And they bring them. Here's the second 12. And this 12 is not tangible, but it's liquid. It's moving. Literally, it's of the spirit in, in, in metaphor. Just like that, those stones in Joshua's day, one was touchable on the, on the bank of the river and one was hidden under the liquid moving of the river. This too was a liquid administration. It was a, a spiritual 12. It was a 12 that would, that would, um, that would flow, that would, that would, um, <clears throat> that would interact with that first original touchable, tangible concrete 12. And so they take that second 12, the, the 12 buckets, and they pour that water on top of that, that sacrificed bullock. And then Elijah calls on the name of the Lord, and fire falls from heaven and consumes that sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, that dead bullock, that water that was poured on that, and that fire that fell from heaven is Acts 2.38. It is the spirit, the water, and the blood agreeing in one. <laughs> it is the witness of God. If you receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And so that, that threefold administration of the spirit, the water, and the blood are shown here. And it happens with the two twelves. It's, it's what happens when the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. Fire falls. When you take those 12 patriarchs and those 12 apostles, fire's going to fall. And, and false prophets are going to run. And Jezebel's going to be cast down. And Ahab's going to be overcame. And, and the false doctrine's going to be purged from the land. And God's people are going to be delivered. Woo! Praise God. <laughs> I'm starting to preach, man. Um... I got to calm down. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But that's what happens when you put the two twelves together, when you put the Old Testament and the New Testament together, when you put those corporate heads of those two testaments together, that's what you get, firefalls. 
And, and whenever you see those two 12s, I mean, I'm telling you, turn, turn and start looking because there's the sevens coming. It's going to come. And it is no accident that, that when that's done and, and Ahab wants to know, is it going to rain that Elijah sends his servant up to the top of the mountain and says, see if you see a cloud. And he comes back. He says, no. And he prays earnestly. He prayed the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous man that James talks about. And, and he sends him a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time. On the seventh time, the servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And, and, and Elijah said, get you up, for I hear a sound of the abundance of rain. There's going to be an outpouring. God's going to, he's going to pour out his rain on this earth and the earth is going to live. God's people are going to live. Jezebel's curse has been broken. God's people are going to reign and God's sending the, the former rain and the latter rain back again onto the land. And, and there's your 24 seven. There's the work of the spirit. There's the two twelves working in conjunction with the sevenfold spirit of God on earth as it is in heaven. That pattern repeats itself again and again and again. <laughs> I, it is no accident <clears throat> that when Naaman, the leper, um, when he, needs healing that the little maid in Israel says, oh, that you were in my homeland, then I know a prophet that could recover you from your leprosy. And, and Naaman goes from Syria <clears throat> into Israel, the land of the 12 tribes. He goes into that land of the 12 tribes and I can just see him. The Bible says he's coming along and, and there is the Jordan River and there's the prophet Elisha. Now, Elijah has dealt with Jezebel and Ahab, but now here is Elisha. That is his protege. And as Naaman comes in, in my mind's eye, I just wonder if he passed those 12 stones and, and those, those tangible stones that what meaneth these stones? He didn't know what they meant, but he was getting ready to find out what they meant. And, and how am I going to get recovered from my leprosy? You got to get in the water. And, and, and not just any river, but this river, this Jordan River. Well, I got rivers back home, and they're beautiful rivers. They're, they're crystal clear. That, what's this muddy river got to do with me? I don't want this an offense for me to get into this muddy river, but get down in that river because that's where the 12 stones are. That's where the priest's feet stood firm. That's where Joshua crossed over. That's where Elijah parted the waters and Elisha parted the waters. And there's something in those stones that interact with those stones on the shore and, 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 and get in that water. And those two twelves are going to work together for you. That old and that new Testament are going to work together for you. Praise God. Well, what, what then? Well, then you're going to dip seven times. You're going to dip one times, two times, three times. Five, six, seven. And on that seventh time, you're coming up with skin like a baby. And, and that there is your new birth. There is your born again experience. There is your washing away of leprosy for the remission of sins in the New Testament. When the two twelves come together and the sevenfold spirit of God comes to bear and on earth as it is in heaven, people are born again. This is a preface, a foreshadowing of the book of Acts. And when Jesus was talking to them in the New Testament, he said, there were many lepers in the land of Israel, but unto none of them was Elisha sent, but to Naaman the leper. God was going to open up the door to the Gentiles. What I have cleansed, that call thou not common nor unclean. I'm going to cleanse the drug addict. I'm going to cleanse the alcoholic. I'm going to cleanse uh, the dysfunctional and I'm going to make it new again. When heaven touches earth, 
according to the pattern shown in the mount. 24-7. It's not arbitrary. It's not, it's not, it's not casual. It's not, it's not flippant. It, it's there for a reason. <clears throat> when we come to Jesus, Jesus, it is no accident when he begins to operate. He begins to do his miracles it is not an accident that he is on his way to raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead. The Bible takes care to tell you she's 12 years old. And, he, and it takes care to tell you that on the way to that girl, there was a woman that had an issue of blood 12 years. Not an accident. These are not arbitrary details. They are not just there for no reason. But they are there to highlight for you in Luke chapter 8 that... <clears throat> That on the way to that little girl of 12 years of age, there was a woman that was, that was, had an issue of blood of 12 years, two 12s that would come together. And I told you, whenever you see those two 12s, look around, look around. And when you see them, you'll see the seven's not going to be far behind. And if you back up to the beginning of that chapter, the Bible says that there was a woman with Jesus. Her name was Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And so now you have this woman, you have these disciples, and you have Jesus coming, and he is doing these miracles. And the twelve, two twelves and the seven work together. And by, by the time it's all said and done, the little girl's raised from the dead, the woman is healed from her issue of blood, and Mary is set free from the seven devils that had afflicted her. Because heaven touches earth, and the Son of God, Jehovah God, robed in flesh, was walking the earth among men. Heaven literally was kissing earth with its anointing and its favor. I wish I had the time to talk about that young girl and that woman because I can see the shades and the foreshadowing of the Gentiles and, and the nation of Israel. That younger girl is the little sister that hath no breasts. She's the one that's on the rise. She's, she's the one that's not there yet, but she's coming and she's dead. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Jesus was on his way to her and on his way to, the, to that girl, he encounters this woman. I believe that woman is a powerful metaphor for Israel. She's a mature woman and she's got an issue of blood. And he turns to the side to deal with her physical dynamics. And then he goes to raise the girl from the dead. And I see a beautiful interplay there of the Jews and the Gentiles, the older woman and the younger woman. And it's one reason why the Bible says it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But he was always on the way to that girl to raise her from the dead. God's always had a purpose for his people, the worldwide purpose. That's another lesson for another day. I don't have time to get into the weeds on it, but I just feel the unction of the Holy Ghost moving right now. And, and I can, I can see this pattern played out all over the Bible. This is why when Jesus, when he is ready to feed the multitude that, that he says, is there anybody here that has something to feed them with? They say, no, maybe we got to go to the market. Maybe he said, no, take what you have and feed them. And they said, well, we don't have anything. All we have is five loaves and two fish. And when I see that sevenfold administration of that little boy's lunch, it blows my mind that 12 disciples gathered up 12 baskets full when it was all over. 
12 and 12 and 7, and the multitude miraculously is fed. Some say 15 to 20,000 people. There's multiplication when that pattern of that 24 and 7 arrives on earth. And what I'm trying to tell you is that this is a New Testament paradigm. This is a, or rather an old and a New Testament paradigm coming together. Two sets of 12 and one seven. It's not just numerology. There is, there is prophetic import here. This is the book of Revelation revealing how those, those um, corporate heads of both testaments work with the Spirit of God and produce miraculous things on the earth. And finally, there is no coincidence when 12 apostles came to Jerusalem and they came because Jesus said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And the 12 apostles walked into the city of the patriarchs, the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel's capital. And those two 12s came together, that Old Testament 12 and that New Testament 12. The whole 12 tribes were coming together for the Feast of Pentecost. That Old Testament feast was getting ready to meet the New Testament fulfillment that had always been in the mind and purpose of God. And so those 12 patriarchal influences are there in Jerusalem. And that New Testament um, power of those apostles touched that on that day of Pentecost. And it is no accident that they were there for seven days. Praise God. Jesus was in the earth three days. He was resurrected. He showed himself alive uh, for 40 days. That's 43 days. And then for from day 43 to day 50, that is seven days. And they prayed and they continued in one mind and one accord. And on that seventh day, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, whoo, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And there were Jews that were there gathered around that didn't know what it meant. And, and, and some of them said, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the 11. There were 12 of them ready to testify and bear witness that heaven has kissed earth. And there's healing. And there's a river that will break out from Jerusalem that will heal the nations. And it is the answer for your city. It is the answer of my, to my, it's the answer for my city. It is the answer for our broken world that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. 24 elders, four and 20 elders, seven spirits of God, and they worshiped the one true living God. This is what's supposed to happen in every single church service you have and that I have. Those two administrations of those two Two Testaments coming together with the work of the Spirit. That's what an apostolic church service is. That's what the tabernacle was trying to show you. That's what, that's what Joshua 
conquering Jericho. That's what's supposed to happen every service. The walls are supposed to fall down every service. That's what's supposed to happen at Carmel. The false prophets are supposed to be scattered every service at Carmel. That's what's supposed to happen in, 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 for every leper that comes through our doors. Uh, they're, they're supposed to be cleansed of their sin. That's what's supposed to happen when the multitude comes together. It's supposed to break the bread and multiply. And, and you're supposed to feed God's people. And the dead are raised and the issues of blood are dealt with and seven devils are cast out. Praise God. This is what the pattern means. And it's 24-7. I hope that helps you. I hope you can take that. I hope it strengthens you today. Know the power that is at your fingertips as an apostolic son and daughter of God. And I pray God's grace continues in your life. Until next time, God bless you, God keep you, and God cause his face to shine upon you.